1: To Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. John, thank you for giving um, us some time today.
2: Man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to share with you and your audience. Well, you know, you got such a
1: great background on what you do. You know, when people think of CPAs, they they think of, uh, oh man, that's a boring life. Got to be. <laughs> but it's it's far from that. So instead of me getting into that, John, let's share uh, I'm going to share a little bit about you, then you can take it from there. But John is the founder of Insight and Tax and Accounting, and the author of Profit First for uh, Micro Gyms. His accounting firm has more gym clients than any other firm in the country, as well as thousands of other client-driven businesses. And he is also an owner of a gym, GSL Fitness. Um, let's get into that, John, kind of tell me how you got into that whole thing. How did it all start?
2: Well, um, it partly got into it because I had a great mentor when I was going through college and, um, I had asked him, you know, based on what he knew about me, what he suggested I do. And he pointed me in the direction of either law or business. And it just so happened that both of those tracks took me through an accounting program. And, and I don't know if anyone's like this, but for me, it was the first time a subject clicked for me. Everything else in life, like biology, all those other things, it's always a struggle. Um, and so it was just, it just felt so natural to me, the accounting. Now I get most people probably accounting isn't the thing that clicks for them. But I think when we find that thing in our life that just comes so naturally, we owe it to ourselves to keep looking into it. And so that's what I did. It led me down a path of uh, being a controller for a door-to-door sales company, um, joining a smaller accounting firm, joining a little bit of larger accounting firm, and then eventually going off on my own um, to do what we now have at Insight Tax. Uh, so that's kind of the intro journey. But then, as I'm in Insight Tax, we started getting a decent amount of gyms as clients, and I had to kind of figure out what was going on there. Why, why were we getting them? Um, it turned it turned out that one of our clients was like a business mentor to gym owners and he was referring us a lot. And so I felt like, you know, after getting about 50 of these clients, I thought, you know, it's one thing to give them advice based on just the numbers, but I felt I wanted to understand their business better. So I went ahead and bought, um, into a gym uh, and it was a 50-50 ownership structure. And so now what that allowed us to do is when when we're specifically speaking to gym owners, I can tell them, look, on paper, this is what you need to do. And in real life, as you try to execute it, here are things are likely going to come up that uh, you don't see on paper. Like for example, your coaches might give you pushback if you want to offer a new service and, and things like that. So ultimately the gym ownership was really just so I could understand my clients better. Yeah. Isn't it funny
1: you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes you don't know what you're doing in life and it just doesn't feel right. And then click. And that happened to me in my business in 1970 and I, I fell in love with math and I loved planning, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and cause you need that passion. Otherwise it's just a job and you, you know, you show up. Um, but you, you've really parlayed some of your life experiences into a career, and I know you have a lot of fun. Um, let me ask you this. What are the things that you think that you've done in the past over your shoulder that have maybe created that success you've had?
2: You know, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is always looking for someone who knows more about it than I do. So, at every stage of my business growth, I had a mentor and that mentor that I chose, whether it was someone who had a structured coaching program or someone I ended up networked, like through networking, found a relationship with, they had already done what I wanted to do. And so I, you know, hired them and wasn't one of those people, I'm. we've all met them where they just, they know everything and it's hard to give them advice uh, because they already know the advice before you give it to them, even though they don't do anything with it. Uh, I wanted to take the other approach of, yeah, tell me what to do and, and I'll try it out and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then maybe we talked about it, but um, every step of the way. And I think also what helped too, is I knew that depending on which mentor I hired, that at some point I would outgrow them. Not in the sense that I don't appreciate what they do or the value they offer. It's just, hey, if this guy took a business to a million dollars in revenue, I want to talk to him and tell him I had a million dollars in revenue. Now, maybe um, if I'm trying to develop my leadership skills as I add team members and now I need to manage more than I do the service offering, I need to hire someone who's going to help me with the leadership skills. And so I always found that mentor that was next in my life that would help me solve maybe the biggest problem that I felt like I had to get to the next step. And and that's been so critical to my success.
1: Yeah. You know, I agree with you. You have to stand on somebody's shoulder. and ultimately if you're coachable, people will start standing on your shoulders and that's the key coachable. And um, you know, you come from a fitness athletic background. So do I. And I always found that if you're a coachable person, you really can learn so much faster, and you expand, and I, it's, that's what sounds like. You just suck it right up and do what they tell you to do, and 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 get to it. And I think that's a key. What um what what are you th- what are your biggest concerns uh, about owning your own business? And this is the business side of you, John, not the service. Yeah.
2: You know, uh, I, I remember when I made my first hire. And the amount of responsibility I felt now that not only am I providing for my own family, I need to make sure the business is healthy enough to provide for their family as well. And we currently have about 35 team members now. And it's no different. I still, I want to make sure that I'm creating a company that my team wants to come to, that they enjoy coming to. Knowing that we are offering a healthy work-life balance, I, I think it's so critical nowadays. We, we've got to get past this stigma of um, of the past of like just work until you burn out. Yep. Anyway, so I, I just uh, I'm always concerned that the decisions I make, because I definitely still make bad decisions, and that's part of being a business owner, right? We try stuff out, and oh, that didn't work out. Um, making a bad enough decision that it could affect. The livelihood of the these wonderful team members who are trusting in me um, and, and the company. You know,
1: in my book, uh, Unlocking Business DNA, I talk about uh, business owners going to work feeling like they're going to an adult daycare because they just don't want to walk through that door because all the <laughs> crap they do, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. you know, uh, you said something really important. You're creating in your head, you want to create a culture that not only you, but everybody that works with you, uh, walks through that door and enjoys coming to work. And that all starts from you business owner. Yeah. And, and it makes it so much easier to enjoy work, doesn't it?
2: it well, I mean, it, for sure, because you have less drama and even trying our hardest, every company is going to have that drama, right? You're you're going to have the the team members who you just maybe are low on an emotional intelligence or self-awareness. But if the majority of the people enjoy coming to work, they don't let some of the little things that trigger people blow up out of proportion, right? Like if the incident's a level uh, two, then let's respond at a level two, but people who don't like their job um, and don't want to come to work, if a little, like a level two thing happens, they might blow up to a level ten reaction, um, and so we, we we're always trying to match like what actually happened. Okay, that's the level we should respond. Let us just be calm about it, and we'll all work through this. And as long as everyone, for the most part, enjoys coming to work, we haven't had too much problems working through scenarios that pop up here and there. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting. I, I, Going to any
1: Trader Joe's or Costco's, and you'll see a great culture. And it's one of those value drivers that grow the business value. And, and a lot of employers don't get that. They they don't understand it takes time to build management, build a culture, do the things to create those value drivers. But that, if, if you had to ask me the two things that I think are important for value growth, I would say being able to delegate and, and creating culture. I, cause that yeah. creates that cause the culture creates the ability to bring in people. They want to work for you, you know? Um, and yeah. obviously you're doing something right with 35 team members. I like the way you call them team members. I like that. Um, what, are the, what are you, what uh, are you, what would be the challenges which create changes in your business? What, what do you see down the road that you think you may have to make some changes?
2: Because um of? Yeah, two thoughts. One, I want to come back to your other comment about delegation because um, that has been a challenge. And I think most business owners, especially if they're conscious and purposeful about growing a company for the sake of employing more people and like having more influence with what they offer, delegation is not something that comes natural to most people, especially the business owner who is really good at what they were doing when they were a one-man shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something that I've had to work on over my career. I, my first attempts at delegation really became abdication, where I, I gave the task to a team member and I was just like, yay, I'm done with that. And then you go and find out six months later, they didn't do any of it. Uh, it's like, we're still responsible as business owners to make sure our product or, or service is great. Um, And just because we're asking someone to do it now instead of us doing it, there still needs to be a level of accountability. And that's something we still continue to improve. Um, But that was so I just wanted to say that first before I um, got into some of the challenges I see in the future.
1: Well, you know, I, I totally agree with you. It's like the Ronald Reagan saying, you know, uh, confirm and then verify, and that's when you. I, I had a client that uh, wanted to delegate more, and I told him, "You, it's not. It's not like uh, um, uh, cold turkey. You got to do it with some poise." And I had them set up uh, one, two of their employees. One took care of cash flow every week. The other one took care of income or, or expenses, and they had a report to the owner. And the owner told told me it took them really about six months to really start thinking like a business owner. And he says, I went down the, I never felt I gave up and delegated because I had to kind of verify everything to make it right. You got to have patience, but gee whiz, after six months, they were running the place, just like they've been doing it for years. So it's a lot of patience. Um, It's like raising kids. Sometimes it really is. (laughs) We put up a lot of crap, but you know, in the end, so I, and I, I do agree with you it is a hard thing to delegate because it's been your baby from day one. Um, and I have many conversations about that I, and I cover that in my book quite a bit, but I find that to be a very big challenge for most people.
2: Yeah. Uh, John, so you yeah, so uh, so the future stuff though, I I know, in fact, we just went over this in our team meeting uh, yesterday. Right now, the current goal is hey, let's grow our, let's triple the size of our company from a revenue standpoint. And what does that look like? And it based on just some forecasting that I'm doing, it, it looks like we're in order to get there, we'll eventually need to add about 40 more team members. Now, when you get to that size, so at that point, we would be, you know, 70 to 80 team members. Um, you've got to make sure that people are accountable to the responsibilities that they've accepted. So, But it's our job as the leaders to give them the vision and then to give them the resources to be successful. Because at that point, obviously, the success of the company is way more on the shoulders of the team as it is us as the owner. Um, So that's going to be a challenge, um, especially in the after-COVID market, where, I mean, it's definitely an employee's market. Like there's a lot of labor shortages. Accounting industry for us is no different. Accountants, like the the entry level compensation is so much higher than it was even just a couple of years ago. Uh, They really have the pick of the litter. And in order for us to keep like to hire the really good people, the good people are able to demand more. So balancing that aspect of having a good team, growing, giving them the resources they can to be successful, that. That is going to be a future challenge for us. Uh
1: yeah. And when you kept saying that you were adding more, I know you have about 35 team members now. So obviously you're building as you go a middle management or next level management. Exactly. That's a yeah. hard, that's a hard one. That's a that's a tough one, but it's needed, isn't it?
2: Exactly. And that's one thing I didn't understand in the beginning was, you know, when when it was just me and then I got to my first um hire. you're about $330,000, $400,000 in revenue. And we used the same structure and just kind of band-aided the problems. We almost looked like a company with duct tape on it, like right? It wasn't pretty to look at. (laughs) And, And it's like, man, we actually need to stop and just maybe wipe the slate clean and let's look at what the framework is. So that's why we're doing this, thinking about it now, because when we're three times larger than we are now, it's a Totally different beast, like you mentioned. We have a different we have a level of management now. So, what does the structure look like? Let's create that now so that we're not trying to figure stuff out or getting to a point where, like, great, based on the way our company is running, we're not going to be able to triple what we're doing just because of the processes and procedures. So it's really good to think about stuff in advance so that because as the businesses grow, there are different milestones I've found that you really do have to go back and wipe the slate clean and kind of start your structure over again. Um, And that's can can be a challenge uh, if you don't do it the right way.
1: You know, it is. I've had many people over 51 years of practice say, well, once you start thinking about selling my business, and I say the minute you buy it because all those things that are going to yield you the highest, greatest potential of the value need time, middle management, delegation, culture they need many years and and like you said i'm going to walk into a wall five times and start all over again but the point is you're aware of it and you're bringing out some really good messages because people people forget about the long-term effects of creating these elements in business to get their value out later on um yeah i could see i could see with that many people growing that trying to put a middle management together may take some effort and uh well, you probably won't be able to get to the gym as much. That's all, John. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, 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 you talk about um, four areas that we'll turn on and, and talk about, because uh, I do have some questions. Uh, tax structure, choosing the right tax structure. Mm-hmm. Um, cash flow management, increase your take-home pay um, and stop worrying about the bills and how to afford your bills. Avoiding burnout. I, you know, you talk about that a lot and I get it cuz you're you're kind of a wellness guy and I'm sure you just see young professionals going through that all the time just burnout.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: yeah I it's, so, it's like young young athletes playing from the time they're 5 all the way to 15 they just burn out. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about that.
2: Okay, so I mean, I with gym owners, we work with a lot of them I first caught this with them, but now that I've seen it, uh, my reticular activator is allowing me to see it with all business owners. This is not something that's specific to just gym owners, but um, with with gym owners, what I found was they have this passion to help people have healthier lives. And as you know, um, the healthier we are, the more productive we are as people, the happier we are. And so I look at what they're doing, and I think on many levels, gym owners are the heroes of humanity because of what they offer through their services. Because if someone is healthier, whatever touches their life is now automatically going to be better because there's more energy coming to it and they're just healthier. Um, But because of the nature of what their members get from the gym services or the personal training, there's a charitable component to it where you're helping someone just physically and, you know, as a person be better. And so it was so easy for them to justify not taking compensation uh, because they felt good about helping people. And so my, I started with my message towards them, letting them know like, look, that's all well and good and super awesome But the reality is, if you want to have a legacy to be able to continue to provide these services to people and changing lives and refueling that fire and passion you have for fitness and health, uh, you have to have money. Cash is the lifeblood of any business. And if you're discounting your services or doing it for free or not honoring what you bring to the company, Uh, you will get burnt out. And I see it where what happens usually is the business owner works their tail off for eight to 10 years or somewhere in there. And then at some point they realize, what do I have to show for all this hard work I put into it? And they don't feel when they do that analysis, they really feel like they don't have anything to show for it. Once that happens, uh, there can be, and the depression looks uh, in a, a variety of different ways, but a some sort of depression will enter at that point because they kind of feel like the last eight to 10 years of life could have been wasted. Um, And that's a hard pill to swallow when in fact it probably wasn't. But so we try to let them know there is nothing wrong with asking for compensation for the value that you bring into the world. And certainly we want to make sure that as the owner, you are paying yourself first because ultimately you are the most important person of In the business no one is going to care at the same level that you do and so in order to avoid burnout we have found as long as the owner is at least paying themselves an amount that they can live off of comfortably not we're not talking about uh rice and beans like a dave ramsey scenario we're talking comfortably (laughs) um then the possibility of burnout doesn't happen which means then they can work in their business for as long as they choose to work in their business. Let's not let a failing business be the deciding factor in whether we can stay in business or not. You know, and as an oxymoron and,
1: and, and um, kind of, um, if you think about it, uh, I'm giving away this service I do because I believe in wellness, but if you're not making profits and you can't make money to live on, you won't be in business to do exactly what you want to do. So it's almost an oxymoron to think that I'm going to kind of give things away and do this. It's almost like being idealistic, but you're absolutely right. Profits are driven not only to enjoy life, but to stay in business and
2: continue giving the service, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times too, they just want to put the cart before the horse, right? Like once a business reaches a point of sustainability and the owner's living comfortably. Sure. Like offer free classes to maybe underserved communities or you know, do take the charitable component at that point. After you've established the solid foundation, you can't give away those services until that foundation exists, though.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I bet you, you have to knock your head against the wall to get that through to them in the beginning. huh?
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's not yeah. Some of them um, are a little bit more reluctant to accept that message than others. <laughs> Let's jump into some tax questions. But uh, what do you think are the
1: most damaging myths around us taxes, John?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, one of the first ones is that when you get a letter from the IRS that it's actually accurate. Um, that's a big myth. Look, you're you're talking about an organization that typically hires people because the accounting industry wouldn't hire them first. Um, And so there's, you have one element there too. Tax people who you may have to deal with are trained on like internal processes and procedures of the IRS, not the tax code. So it's very common for them to not even understand some of the rules that they're trying to enforce. And so you have those components, plus then they just send out these automated letters most of the time saying, hey, we've made an adjustment, you owe us a little bit more money. Um, we've found that most of the time that's just not accurate. Getting a competent tax professional to look at the letter with you so that they can then do some research to, um, as to why the IRS would make that type of claim. Usually the IRS is off in their calculations. Um, Always to the point where sometimes you don't actually owe them anything, others where it's not as much as they're suggesting, or your refund could be larger than what they're suggesting. Um, so that's a big one. The other one is that um, you don't have to pay attention to it as a business owner. Oh, no, no, you have to. <laughs> um, I get it. It's not an exciting part for most business owners. They love the service that they are passionate about, but it is a necessary component. Of being a business owner, and it cannot be ignored, uh, because the way you do your accounting, the way you track your expenses, all of that correlates to the amount of money that you end up paying in taxes, and so you want to make sure that your accounting systems are really solid, so that you have a better chance to reduce your taxable liability to the lowest amount legally possible. And if you were look, if you were as a business owner,
1: uh, what are the ways? that you see business owners leaving money on the
2: table year after year? Yeah, first one is entity structure. Um, People, oh my neighbors, cousins, nephews in accounting school and they said I should set up my business this way. Uh, So we just see a lot of bad structures. And, And what I'm talking about is, so you have an option to be like an LLC or a sole proprietor or an S corp or a C corp, those types of things. Based on your business, there's a more optimal structure that you want to make sure that you have because just by simply having a different structure that's more favorable to you, nothing else changes in your business other than you changing, oh, I'm an LLC. Well, now I'm going to be an S corporation. Nothing else changes in the way you operate your business, but that one change alone could save you Mm -hmm. lots and lots of money in taxes. Right.
1: I, I, I kind of remember years ago when LLCs came out and everybody was jumping on it and they were um, jumping on LLCs. But then I would say, OK, that's an entity. But well, how are you being taxed? What how, yeah, exactly. how have you elected to be taxed? And, you know, so many people were being elected to be and, and paying so much more payroll taxes than they had to. And under that scenario, I had a couple of clients that I finally said, you got to be an S corporation because you're getting killed here. Uh, but they didn't know any difference. They listened to their uncle, right? The same old story. Right. Just so I see that. But
2: uh, so that's one of them, right? Yeah, so that's one of them. Another one. I mean, in general. So the IRS code says in order for a business to take a deduction, the deduction has to be ordinary and necessary. Well, like you can guess, the co- the tax code in the IRS isn't great at explaining what they actually mean by ordinary and necessary. So then they said, well, here, let's give you some more guidance. Um, we'll, we'll say it's helpful and appropriate. Okay. Um, well, I had a client. I remember one time he came to me. He was a network marketer. He's like, hey, I just bought a $100,000 belt buckle and I'd like to write it off. And I'm like, huh. He felt like it was helpful and appropriate, uh, but the tax code did not. So here's the way I base I describe it. Um, if you're incurring an expense that is related to your business and can either help you grow your business to get new members, to network, um, whatever it may be, it is likely an acceptable business expense. You just got to stay away from the ridiculous luxury purchases. Uh, There is no way if you ask 10 business owners, I'm guessing at least nine of them are going to say like, yeah, I probably don't need a $100,000 belt buckle to grow my business or to improve my operations. Or I don't actually think it's going to, I don't think it would give me more clients. That's kind of the way the IRS looks at it. um, Or at least that's the way we can help the IRS look at it. So a lot of business owners leave deductions on the table because they don't realize that it, the expense could be a tax write-off. We always, just from a generic standpoint, we want to make sure that business owners understand that. The other thing is travel. You know, if you're traveling like if you decide you want to take a personal vacation, but you're able to book things ahead of time that give you business purpose to that trip, there's going to be a portion of that vacation that you're going to be able to write off. Um, The key is, is that you have to be able to show that you had a business intention and purpose before spending the money to book the personal stuff. Um, uh, And so we also often find business owners have some travel expenses that they've left on the table Um, cell phones is an easy one look nowadays with connectivity, we all need a cell phone to properly run our business. So that's an easy write-off.
1: I I also suggest to our clients, make sure you, whatever you make it, make sure it's more of a common sense thing than not, and Mm -hmm. make sure you have your documentation. Absolutely. Um, Very much so. And you know, one of the things I've noticed, and and John, I've worked on with so many CPAs. And I've always said to our clients, um, because I try to put the team together when we start our planning process. And that includes the accountant, the attorney, and I try to get everybody in one room, and get to know each other and then talk about the problems. But I've always said to the business owner, you always go to your accountant Late in the year, you never set up times with them early in the year so you can start talking about strategies. And I'm a big advocate of that because, just like you were talking about, this is where you tell the clients, you know, this is what you need to do for the year. But, you know, if they're in November <laughs> and talking to you or, or their last month of their fiscal year or whatever, that doesn't help you very much.
2: <laughs> yeah, so- no, um, I. Yeah. We love to get the message across that your business financials actually are telling you, they're trying to tell you something, but if you're not looking at it regularly, you're missing the communication from it. Um, You have to use numbers as part of your business management. It's not the only play. It's not the only thing to do, but you've got to be able to see why, like, oh, your income increased month over month. Why? So that you can identify what you did to increase it. So you keep doing it. Or if it decreased, why is it decreasing? Or oh, we stopped doing something. Okay, well, maybe we should start that up. You just have to look at your numbers more regularly. Just looking at the numbers for tax compliance is, is not a great business move. No, no, the numbers tell a lot. And I always said, you know, good cash flow hides
1: a lot of problems and a lot of issues you're not taking care of until they oh, show yeah. up. And that the Absolutely. truth. So um, true. Yeah hey John what part of the business uh that what uh, the part of the business that 98% of the owners are failing
2: on uh cash flow management <laughs> usually the business owner is just trying to figure out how to get more sales um and as you said if the sales numbers are up and cash flow feels good it's so easy to hide some of the problems um and usually, when without a system and without purpose, like a des- purposeful decision making by the owner, as income increases, expenses will increase at the same rate, if not faster than your cash flow, right? Because, oh, I got more sales. I better hire another person. I got more sales. Let me do a bigger bulk order this time of material. Oh, I got more sales. Um, that's going to allow me, you know, whatever it may be. We're going to find ways to spend the money. We like it's just the natural part of us as business owners. So, we recommend having a simple system in place that allows you to kind of put boundaries around the cash. Um, As part of the system that we recommend, we call it the Profit First System. It's based on a book written by Mike McAllowitz. And then I subsequently, he, Mike McAllowitz, Allowed me to license Profit First so that I could write a a book specifically to gym owners about cash flow. But the one of the things is that you're sitting down either once a week or twice a month, and you're going to look at the transactions that happened over the last week or the last two weeks, so that you can look at all your expenses that happened in just a short time period and force yourself to say, or ask yourself, did this expense actually provide value to the company? Was it productive? Did it help me have more clients? Did it help me retain clients? Did it help improve their experience so that I can then maybe later increase my fees? Um, Those types of questions. So that as your sales increases, because we all want to grow, by looking at our expenses uh, just in the short timeframe, we're able to stay more on top of and identify expenses that aren't actually doing us any good so that we can eliminate them as soon as we know. But because business owners aren't doing that, they go many, sometimes years. I mean, we had a gym owner client, we took him on and we're looking at his stuff and uh, it's very common in gyms to have this type of automated, I mean, not automated, it's just a really large floor cleaning machine instead of using a hand mop. Um, It's kind of like a a giant vacuum or a a Zamboni, but for gym floors that you push. Um, He had been the purchase contract he had on it. It was like a lease to own type of thing. And it was paid off about 18 months before he became like before we were meeting with him. But he continued to make payments to this company for those 18 months because in their contract. Like they didn't stipulate anything as far as once this is paid that, you know, it basically said you have to cancel or make sure the payments stop, and not us. So he couldn't even get the money back, but wow. because he didn't look at his expenses, he overpaid a year and a half of payments on, on this cleaning machine uh, just because he wasn't paying attention. You know, it, if
1: you're bringing out really great points and they're, they're simple points in the sense that uh, being in business, uh, that, that's one of the, when we talk about our, to our business owners about, when we have this conversation about, well, what are we going to delegate? The one thing that I insist with it is that they don't delegate the studying of the numbers on a periodic, you know, like you said, every two weeks, look at the cash flow. What's it being, start asking the hard questions and guess what? You save a lot of money and you'll have better cash flow, but you bring a good point out because a lot of people just don't do that. So um you no know, good for you. That's a that's a great thing. And um do you have a way of forcing them to do that just out of
2: <laughs> I wish. I mean, all ultimately all we could do is encourage. Um, I mean, we get to the point where sometimes we're we we stalk our clients until they at least tell us, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> but most of the time they appreciate it. They're just they get so busy with running their business that some of the things like going into the bank and um, restructuring the way your accounts are set up so that cash flow can be better that's a big hurdle for some of them they just yeah yeah no no I agree. well you
1: you know a question would be how do they interpret their numbers how do business owners interpret their numbers
2: yeah and I mean if they're not looking at it first of all you have to look at them to be able to interpret it right
1: That's right
2: um and, and definitely it it always helps to have someone who's an expert. At least in the beginning so that you can see how the expert looks at your numbers and then you can learn if you want to like do that yourself later and and not have someone help you with that. At least you've learned how to do it, but you have to do it. You, you have to do it. And, and interpreting the numbers, I would say, is a big challenge for a lot of business owners because even those who are willing to take time, if they don't have a structure like the profit first system, um, when they sit down to even interpret the numbers, they don't really know where to start.
1: Yeah, there's a a lack of education, I think, in that area. But, you know, with some patience and talking to your accountant, you start to get it. Um, But you got to put in time like anything else. And it's time they don't want to do. I know I talk about working on your business all the time and not in it, but they want to put their fingers in it. So you have to have some kind of system where they I, I use a two hour a month system by Zoom. On teaching them things that that's kind of worked out the last year. Or so thank you. Oh, nice. so, yeah. Yeah. They had to spend uh, two hours with me on certain planning areas and I do videos, but anyways, um, Hey, John, the other thing is uh, let's talk about some tips that business owners, um, they feel overwhelmed with, but they can deal with the simple tips of working with it.
2: Um, so one of the things that we suggest a, a simple way to implement at least a starting point of a cash flow management system is: we know that if your business is profitable, you're going to owe taxes. Let's set up a separate bank account and start putting away and and do these transfers. Uh, you know, a couple times a month, so that it's not all at once. Because if you don't do it, it it doesn't work. Um, take take like three or 4% of your revenue and just sock it into this tax bucket. Just pop it in there. Uh, again, you got to do it because if not, it, it's easy. If I'm doing it, say every two weeks, I, I can run my business on a few less hundred dollars. Right. But if I don't do this transfer and I get to April and I owe what? $10,000 in tax or some, you know, obviously can owe a lot more than that. Uh, Yeah, that's why it's harder. It's harder to come up with a large chunk of money. So let's make sure we take the money off the table first, so it's not in our operating expense account. Um, That simple move alone, it it doesn't take a lot of effort. And especially one of the benefits of COVID is that most banks allow, um, like a docu sign type of thing, where you can email your banker and say, "Can you set up a new account?" They'll send you the paperwork through email, and you just electronically sign it. You don't even have to go into the the branch anymore. So get it set up, sock away three to 4% of your revenue into the tax bucket so that when tax time comes, you've already set the money aside. If you happen to have extra, take a distribution as an owner, go celebrate. Yeah. But um, it's a simple way to make sure, at a minimum, we're not going to be stressed out come tax time. Because too often when someone doesn't do this, the comment we get is, uh, how do I owe that much money? I didn't even make that much money. Like, well, yeah. Actually, you did. You just spent it on poor business decisions.
1: It's, uh, well, it, it's it's there's less stress in putting away a small amount over time because after a while you don't even miss it. But the stress to come up with large amounts at one time is very stressful. And you know, we talk about burnout and stress. That's the byproduct of, of not doing it the right way, I would think, right? exactly 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 it's um uh john talk about cash flow in gyms the main sources of them
2: um so with gym owners we i recommend the essential seven accounts um the profit first system has five and so i'll just name them really quickly one account is for income and its sole purpose is, is to receive deposits. Another account is for team member pay. Um, because in a gym, your coaches is, is going to be your number one or number two expense. Rent is the other one. Those are the big two. And you want to make sure that you are setting aside money to pay your coaches. Um, the other one is owner's pay. We want to make sure owners are setting aside money so that they are at least paying themselves enough, like we already talked about, so that we can avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we want a profit account. The purpose of the profit account is to reward the owner for the ownership and risk they're taking as the owner. In this in the financial world, you would look at buying stock and hopefully the stock pays you a dividend. Well, we're this is the same concept, but because you bought the stock of your business, it should be paying you a dividend. So that's the profit account. Um, There's the tax account, which we just talked about. The normal main one that everyone already has is their operating expense account. That's where you pay all your bills out of. And then with gym owners, because of the wear and tear on the equipment, which you can't really see day to day, but man, when something breaks, it breaks. Let's have an equipment account. Let's set aside a small amount so that when you need to buy a new rower or treadmill or barbells or whatever it may be, you've already set aside the money. Because the last thing you want, which happens to gym owners without a system, the machine breaks and they don't have the cash to replace it. So they either like then borrow money to do it, which now increases the cost of the actual piece of equipment. Maybe even with the equipment down, they can't even fit the same number of people in the facility or in the class so it's like let's not let's uh, eliminate that risk and set aside the money ahead of time um so that's kind of the main structure we recommend for gym owners and what i love about it i mean look covid was bad uh, right and for gym owners it was um not as bad as restaurants i my heart goes out to restaurant owners yeah but in every country that i'm aware of and including the united states the government forced gyms to be closed for a certain amount of time. Depending on which state you're in, it was longer than others, but everybody was closed for at least a little bit. Uh, and that's a big burden on a small like gym facility that's trying to run a boutique operation. All of our clients who were running profit first, prior to COVID happening, they were able to weather the storm of decreased revenue or no revenue. Um, our other clients who hadn't been running the system, some of them didn't fare as well. And there was a lot of gyms that closed their doors. So I know the system works. We're big. I mean, it. I've been running the system myself for about five years now. And I can tell you, it's so great. Um, even if I weren't an accountant, you know, and the only interpretation of numbers you're looking at is your bank account balances, which is a common method for business owners. With the profit-first system, you can tell if you're winning or losing because the balances in your owner's pay account and your profit account, uh, even your tax account, you're going to see those go up. Those are going to steadily increase. Um, And so it's an easy metric, uh, an easy way for business owners to at least have some number that they can interpret. Uh, So it's a really powerful system.
1: You're uh, you're too young to remember this. Um, But when we were kids, our parents paid bills by having separate envelopes for every expense. So what you just told any business owner, really, it's not just gyms, different accounts, I guess, is treat these accounts, these categories like they were actual bills today and put the money away for it. And it's almost like an envelope system, but you're yeah. right. It does work. It's a, it's called discipline,
2: right? Yeah. It's exactly the envelope system. We're just using bank accounts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great, great advice. Here, these are these are the, this is the type of advice that's even more important than putting the right number on a ledger from an accountant. These are the strategies that actually work, and that I think it's great. and And I want to talk the last question, John. I want to get your book in. Um, you decided to write a book on cash flow management. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah. Oh man, I'll first say I still don't consider myself an author. Boy, that was an interesting experience. I had no idea how much was involved in in writing a book. Um, But the concept of the book is the stuff that I've just almost, we've just really scratched the surface, the different accounts, how to utilize them, all the different nuances. Um, That's what the book is about. It it, in-depth describes a cash flow management system for gym owners which really can apply to yoga studios, even karate studios, any place where they're the service that they're offering is a very high touch service, right? The reason we call it micro gyms is because it's not the same thing as like a gold's gym or 24 hour fitness, where you go in, you pay a small amount and you're basically renting equipment, these smaller studios, you have a an instructor, you have a class time usually, um, or personal training, that those types of things. Um, and so, if you're in a service model that is kind of fits that bill, you probably are going to glean something from the book. Um, but yeah, we definitely share a lot of examples. We go through the whole thing. I mean, we again just scratched the surface here, but uh, I understand. And where could they get the book, John? Um, Amazon's the easiest place for people to buy it. Profit first for micro gyms.
1: Well, what I'll do is in the, sum- the summary notes of the show, I'm, I'll make sure I have that link uh, along with the links that uh, people can contact you. And are you
2: taking on new clients, John? Yeah, as a firm, we are always happy to grow. As I mentioned, we want to triple our, the size of our company. So we need more clients to do that.
1: And you're <laughs> And you're taking clients around the country or any particular area?
2: Yeah, we are nationwide. Um, the only services we offer for international people are the cash flow management or bookkeeping stuff. Um, but yeah, we we have clients in every state.
1: Okay, okay. that's good. And I'll make sure we, we put that in there. And um, John, we're running out of time, but I have to tell you, I... Um, Very impressed the way you're educating your clients and these concepts that you talk about. Um, You certainly blow away the old concept of just send me the numbers and I'll take care of it. So, that kind of idea. But um, so I really want to thank you uh, for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we leave, John?
2: Uh, You know, we talked about analyzing expenses. I do have a chapter in my book. Where I go over nine questions I recommend you can ask to determine if the expense is productive or not productive. And my team has summarized that chapter and those questions into a very simple one page handout. So if people are interested in that, it's free. Go to insightstaxcom backslash wealth and uh, you can download that. I, I'm pretty sure we also have a, a bunch of other bonuses that will include um in in doing that we we just think the world's a better place if small business owners stay in business so anything we can do to help out we're happy to do that
1: yeah no i agree and i'll put all this in the summary notes make sure we have all the addresses and where people can get more information you have a very nice site by the way i might add john thank you i want to uh thank you for taking the time and we learned an awful lot today so thanks again
2: yeah thanks for having me you're welcome john
1: well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like. Uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone. that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. One, Subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at Inc.com. And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request For additional information, click the show notes.